That's Marcus, awesome. do you like movies? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Doug. Uh, Carlo, do you like movies? Uh, I'll have to think about it. It's to be determined at the moment. TBA. I think everything is to be, is to be determined at the moment. TBD, you know TBA. I mean? Right. For sure. TBH. TBH. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yo, this is Zebras in America podcast. We we have a special guest, Carlo. He's back. What? What? Better, better than ever. <laughs> New and that's, improved. That's right. Absolutely, man. I feel that. Way. Carlo, Carlo's off that. What? What are you? What are you on right now? What do you mean? You're like you're a little. <laughs> you're, you're very punctual, right? Like like you're really like. <laughs> You just um, you're you're on it right now. What what's, yeah, what's going on? Uh, okay, it's something called Vietnamese coffee. Have you guys ever been on it? Oh my god! No, dude. but now I, I oh now shit! I would like to Marcus, you've never had Vietnamese coffee. You never been to a Vietnamese restaurant where they? I've been to plenty of Vietnamese. I've never had coffee there. Oh, dude, you never you gotta you try it. You never I, had Thai really? iced coffee or Vietnamese iced coffee. No, because by the time I just at this point, I can say more than half of my life now I've been a diabetic. So, <laughs> oh, right. I always yeah, just assume yeah. that it's very sugary. Right. So I don't even yeah. Yeah. But I think uh, Vietnamese coffee, I mean, sugar is. A big yeah, you can get it without component. sugar. I've, I've actually yeah. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm Condensed? leaning my way down because it's like I was big on like fucking five Splendas back in the day. <laughs> Then it was Five. like okay, two Splendas. <laughs> no, I'm not even exaggerating. But now it's like no, I've, uh, stevia. I've been, I've, but now I've it's stevia. But now it's like half a stevia in a big cup. And next thing you know, I'm not gonna have any because Steve because like the even even something like stevia, it still kind of messes up your stomach a little bit. And I'm and I'm oh gotcha. Oh yeah, I'm stevia. That, so stevia is not is probably the least angry of the sugar replacements. Yeah, absolutely, but. You know, there's one that starts with an M that I that I learned about during... molasses. No, <laughs> molasses is not a sh- is not considered a sugar substitute. Okay. It is sugar. <laughs> yeah, no, like some malcodextrin or something like that. Oh God, that sounds that uh, I scary. that I discovered when I was doing when I was doing the keto diet, and. Uh, I went to Western Massachusetts for my birthday. We went to a candy store called Sweeties. Hell yeah. Mm. Hell yeah. And I was like, do y'all have anything sugar-free? Which is a funny thing to, to ask at a candy store. And they were right. like, "Like we have some random shit in the back. That's and how it works. That's how it works. And they, you know, they have like two or three things. And, you know, I got something. And... It had malcodextrose or something. And yeah, yeah, yep. It's like it, it was it was rough. Or if if you've ever read uh, Amazon reviews for for sugar free Haribo gummy bears. Mm-hmm. No. No. Well, there's like it became like a whole meme because if, oh, like the wolf you... shirt or like the gallon of milk. Do you remember those reviews? Like those are so ridiculous. Well, yeah. Well, Haribo Haribo sugar-free bears contain some sort of sugar substitute that makes um, going to the bathroom incredibly oh, unpleasant. Shit, dude! Actually, there's a YouTuber who tried it. Uh, what was his name? Oh my God, Skippy something. Uh, I, I I'm skippable or something like that. Like he tried it, like and dude, yeah, he he went to the bathroom. 
like he he totally did on record like on, on video <laughs> yeah it was like back in the 90s when they tried to like come through with like low fat potato chips with olestra and oh then... olestra fuck man yeah yeah wow. it t- uh-huh. so here's this is all to say one because we didn't ex- for the people listening that don't know what tire vietnamese iced coffee is <laughs> let me say that for someone who's like what is it um <laughs> It, it it's a uh, it's hot hot pour over coffee onto ice cubes with sweetened condensed milk and it's like super strong coffee and mm. then sweetened condensed milk is like super thick and it's just like this really rich super caffeinated delicious yeah. treat yeah i feel like i'm i'm enlightened right now like it's it's that strong i bet <laughs> and then uh what I want to say is the reason why we find out that all of these substitutes for food are bad for you is because like food is designed to like natural food is designed to do its job. Mm. And instead of like, unless you're diabetic, right? In which case, like there's like, unless there's like real health reasons, if you want gummy bears, just like have a handful of gummy bears. If you want, if you, as long as you're not eating potato chips all the time, right. yeah. just have potato chips when you want potato chips. If you're being, you know, this whole thing where the, what I've learned, because if you listen to the podcast, you know that when I started around a year into the podcast, I had become morbidly obese. I was 310 pounds. And, you know, if there's nothing wrong with being a big person, there's not. Mm-hmm. I found that being that weight had made my quality of life just like really difficult. Like walking upstairs was, you know, had become like an Adam Sandler skit from the 90s. Yeah, dude, I remember when you visited me in that apartment and the elevator was broken and you fucking wanted to kill me after going up two flights. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, you don't got to put me on blast like that, but yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, but this is the past. This is not you now. You know, I'm just I, saying. Like, here's the thing. Yeah. I always take, I, I always take, the, you know, I took the stairs in my house. I never, I never was like, you know, whatever. Anyways, uh-huh. it's not the point, Carlo. What okay. I've learned now that, you know, I'm, I am, I'm, I'm 185 pounds now. I, it's a weight that I'm pretty comfortable with. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind actually putting on a little more weight. Well, some muscle. What yeah. I've learned now that I'm not doing any fad diets or or anything. I'm just like eating food is that you know, having restrictions when you need to lose a lot of weight is one thing. But once you're like trying to just stay someplace, if you're just like I'm never going to eat this one thing, that actually is gonna gonna end up turning into like binge eating or guilt eating. So it's much better to just be like, you know what, I want a Snickers today. I'm gonna have a Snickers. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna just have it, and then I'm gonna go back to eating healthily. Which so like like fad foods or like low fat yogurt or like that stuff is not that stuff doesn't. It goes against, like, actually being healthy. When mm. people are like, oh, oh, like, what, you know, French fries with ketchup. 
you know, French fries <laughs> with ketchup. The you know what the least healthy thing in that is? What's that? The salt. ketchup. Oh, the ketchup. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it. I thought it was the salt, <laughs> the sodium. Maybe for I some mean, people, but generally speaking, yeah, ke- ketchup is mad sugary. You oh, know, so yeah. I. I mean, I'm not saying to eat French fries. I'm just saying like, you know, actual food is good for you, but that's mm-hmm. not even like why we have you here but you were saying something carlo before we started recording that I? I want that i found interesting but if y'all for the people that are like wondering what this episode is about carlo had this great idea to talk about musicians turned directors not directors turned musicians yes. which which carlo can explain the difference because there's plenty of directors who make music Absolutely. but we're talking about people who started out as musicians in some way who went on to direct movies and right. that was really exciting Absolutely. but also i was saying i was saying that there that there's a listener who sends me a postcard every month and carlo was like oh so you let a complete stranger know your address and at first i was like huh <laughs> i had yeah. to think about it and what i wanted to say is you know, we live in this, we live in a society. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. No. Uh, <laughs> so we live in a society where the internet has brought people together. Like, I know you, Carlo, because you sent me a message on SoundCloud. Exactly. Yeah. We, we then created a relationship, but I met yeah. you through the internet. That's you sent true. me a message on SoundCloud. I, it's I, not I even me- that I easy. Messaged, um, sorry, yeah, yeah I, I, I messaged uh, Marcus through uh, Facebook as well. Same with Mikhail. Like, I contacted you guys because I heard you guys on podcast. Like, you know, and I wasn't saying. big. I wasn't big on Facebook. Well, I'm still not on, on Facebook <laughs> Messenger. But we eventually found yeah. each other. Yeah, the truth. Yeah, I have. I have a thought about. I actually have something to say about Facebook Messenger. But give me mm-hmm. a second. Because sure. Facebook Messenger is is terribly designed, mm-hmm. but so the thing is, what I wanted to say is also we a lot most people have been quarantined for the past year plus, so a lot of people that I know I've never met in person, but I wouldn't call them strangers. Right. So yes, there are people that send me mail that that I've never met before. But I wouldn't call them strangers. Yeah, that's all sure. I had to say about well, that. I, and I'd like to add to that. Actually, I recently befriended one of your listeners. Um, uh, like we had been following each other for a while. I guess it was part of the Follow Friday Twitter thing, and then you know some random. I'm glad someone them. benefits from that because that just gives <laughs> yeah. me anxiety. If you're listening, <laughs> right. please yeah. stop. Please stop. Don't. I don't need followers. Don't put same, me on those same, things. Same. Same. Actually, I would say the same thing. I would add to that that uh, I don't really need followers because I'm barely on it. Like I'm a I'm a passive presence. I mainly just use it to like check out Marcus's side by sides and you know funny shit. But uh, yeah, this Although guy. Now I'm kind of shadow banned, so I'm just I'm not as excited about Twitter <laughs> anymore sh- these days. You're shadow banned, Marcus. I'm like I'm, I'm a half shadow. But like some people see my stuff, and other people who regularly are just like I don't see your stuff ever anymore. It, it, it it's a little weird. Th- yeah, mm. I, I have been since like late since late last year. Is that because Why? of your content, or because, or the times when you get mad at people on the internet? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But I, no. I will say that there's like a plague right now because like a, a lot of cool accounts 
mm-hmm. that do like are, are either have either been suspended or just their accounts have been deleted or their shadow banned. And yeah, I'm shocked. It, because... I, I, I take it a little personally now because yeah. now more than ever the movie comparison craze is like the shit now on Twitter. Right, but Daddy, who I'm not saying I birthed it, but the Michael Jordan. <laughs> Of it is, is is like a little stifled. No, I feel like I'm playing minor league baseball right now. No, no, you, um, you can you can give yourself those props, dude. Like no, no, you, I, I just did. I just yeah, did. yeah you did. Yeah, but I'm saying did. I'm allowing you to do it. Like you, you're, you're perfectly. So two, yeah. hold hold on a second. Hold mm-hmm. on a second. Hold on a second. Yeah, Carlo, who'd you meet through the show? Um, so his name's Brandon. Oh, yeah, right. Hi, hi, Brandon. I'm gonna say hi to him on the show. So uh, his uh, his Twitter handle is Actual Dads. And he also has a podcast, which I'm blanking on. But if you go to Actual Dads on Twitter, you'll probably find it. And oh, Brandon. A, yeah, no. Yeah, he's, yeah go, sorry. Keep, yeah, keep, Brando. keep talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really cool guy. Like, I met him because, uh, well, we started talking because um, I wanted to do a book club on this book called uh, Hopscotch by um, mm-hmm. Julio Cortazar, which is, like, mm-hmm. really difficult to read. So I thought, oh, I'll do a book club and maybe some people will join. And he was the only person who got back to me. There were a couple of other people, but they were, like, kind of flaky about it and they eventually dropped out so it was just me and him did you invite me uh i mean i did like a general invite online and i just thought oh uh, by the way brandon's podcast is called losing track oh there you go losing track so yeah thanks thanks for that marcus um but yeah so we started with that but then i eventually i mean uh scott by the way sorry just uh as an aside too um if i do another book club i will definitely invite you personally i won't just do a general thing (laughs) For sure. Yeah, I just I'm I'm reading three books right now, which is okay. Which because I went from reading no books because of college. Well, I was reading lots of books, but not like mm-hmm. books that I wanted to read or books yeah. that I would necessarily read. But right, yeah, yeah. Um, so we yeah we started friends with Brandon. Yeah, yeah, the, and then the show. I eventually gave up on the book because even though I had him to discuss it with because I was just like man like there's other books that are calling to me right now like right now I'm reading Epictetus like his uh, uh, discourses so um, yeah that's like calling to me right now and pataphysical essays that's what I'm obsessed with right now so I just told him that but like we were having great conversations about movies like um, we would always tie it into a movie somehow when we were talking about the book so it it just started branching out with that. We started talking about Mike Lee. We started talking about Michael Mann, you know, and um, he's actually been trying to make this connection between Michael Mann. I'm uh, sorry, not Michael Mann, Mike Lee and, and Charles Burnett. And he was like, you know, yeah, he was. Are you wearing headphones? Are you wearing headphones, Carl? I am. Yes. OK, just making sure here. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I can kind of hear myself a little bit. Yeah, just like faintly. It's weird. Um but yeah, so uh, yeah, we he, we started talking about that shit, and like I think I, he might even have me as a guest um, to like do the Michael Mann episode uh, on his podcast. So yeah, it's pretty cool, man. He's like a brother from another mother. He really feels that way. Nice. Yeah, he loves Patterson too. Oh man, yeah. So well, there I mean, we go. Patterson's a great Patterson's a great movie. Yes, it um, is. Mm-hmm. It's also a great poem. So yes, he loves the book as well. Yeah. So yeah. It's a, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I. I love when art gets me to check out other art. Um, but yeah, Facebook Messenger, and then we can get into the subject of the show, um, which is, wow, 16 minutes. I love it when it takes a really long time. <laughs> 
Yeah, or like when the title of the movie shows up, you know, so late in, like you know, uh, um, what is that like? Uh, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, or a, a Pizza Pong does that. Uh, like uh, what is that? Blissfully Yours. I think it, the credits start like halfway through the movie or something. Yeah, you know? <laughs> there's another one that uh, I, I can't. I'm, I'm drawing. Last Life in the Universe. The, uh, Last Life in the Universe. Yeah. It also shows up late. Departed. <laughs> the Departed is well. like the, the the title comes up so late in the movie. It's crazy. Anyway, hi Rob. Yeah, I just want to say hi. We to live Connor. in a society. Yeah. <laughs> right. We so live Facebook in, Messenger. We live in a society, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I have Facebook for my job, not well, sort of like the my grad school that I went to has uh, has two or three private groups that exist for like networking and helping each other out and also like sharing literature sometimes certain literature can be expensive and we'll share it so and i'm i'm not really friends with anybody that you know tries to become friends with me on facebook because i don't really use it and i don't like it i opened facebook messenger um like a couple weeks ago because I needed it to, oh, one more thing is that's how I'm able to get, that's how I'm able to um, watch uh, UFC is that a friend lets me use their ESPN password. And and we talk about it on Facebook Messenger. So I open up the Messenger and this person who I haven't spoken to in 22 years, uh, writes, hi, Scott. I was, I'm sorry to hear about the passing of your friend. Also, I'm sorry that you still haven't forgiven me for some shit that happened 25 years ago. Oh my God. And again, I hadn't talked to this person uh-huh. in 22 years. And any time that uh, anyone ever asked me about this person, I would say, oh, I hope they're doing well. There's no indication for this person other than there's something going on in their own brain that I was still mad at them about something that happened 25 years ago. And I have to tell you that that email is psychopathic. (laughs) I don't know. What what do you think? I mean, yeah, well, if you're if you're bearing a grudge for that long and you're still thinking about it and you had to like basically send that message, yeah, something's just going on with you that probably goes beyond um just simply having closure. You know, um what is what are those series like that by that Vietnamese um, monk? He's Buddhist, uh Thich Nhat Nang. It's like uh, how to yeah. fight, how to you know, and he, he's saying that it's like when you you want closure with somebody and they won't give you that closure, just give yourself the closure on your own. Like you don't need to like send a message and like, you know, ask for forgiveness or in his case, just saying like, yeah, why are you still angry at me, bitch? You know, well, also, like, what, yeah. what, Carlo, I think you're 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 still evaluating this from I'm going to take it two steps further. Which is... I mean backwards. Um, mm. If you're sending someone a letter of condolence mm-hmm. to also bring up a grudge mm. 
is a right. very strange thing to do. Absolutely, yeah. It's almost and, like now that, now that I have you, I might as well bring this up too. Right, and the way to bring up the, a grudge that was a that was an ineffective way to bring up a grudge. Mm-hmm. So if I were, I've, I've let go of beefs I've had with people for 20 years because I had to for myself. Basically, you were saying the same thing, and mm-hmm. the philosopher was saying this, that yeah. holding grudges actually really only hurts you at a certain point. Exactly. Especially if, you know, I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I remember I ran into someone who I hadn't seen in over 10 years at a party once, and I... They had shaken everyone's hand except mine. And I was like, hey, man, uh, you going to shake my hand? He's like, no. You know, I decided that when we were in high school, you know, on you had your 18th birthday and you invited everybody but me. And you were always mean to me. And, and I was like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't know that you were upset with me. I was not... A very happy kid and that often came out in sometimes not being nice to other people and you know you holding that I promise you is gonna hurt you more than it hurts me and they were like fuck you and I was like okay and then <laughs> like and then many years later we were at uh, at a funeral for a friend who had passed away and and I was like, we're shaking hands. And he was like, yeah, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm like, come on. So, which is all to say that it's holding grudges hurts the person holding the grudge. And this yeah. person who sent the psychotic Facebook message was holding a grudge that I was holding a grudge, which I wasn't. Yeah, bizarre, right? Very bizarre. <laughs> it's like... A super bizarre thing, but then it remem- then it reminds me, like, during that time in the late nineties, I was obsessed with um, a solo album by David Byrne called mm. Feelings, which has a song called Miss America, which I used to be obsessed with mm. as a teenager, um, about unrequited love and the 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 pop plastic bombast of the late nineties. <laughs> and, and, you know, honestly, cause I was, when you're young, you don't know shit. So you'll like pretend you know something or don't know something like, mm-hmm. like I remember one like at first I didn't know that cool Keith and Dr. Octagon were the same person and I had to act cool. And then someone was like, yo, you know, they're the same person. Right. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course I did. But I yeah. didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's I like uh, the two Blasey Blaze or whatever. Like you know, people yeah. like confuse that. Oh, it's like the same person. Like but I have I, a, a story about also, that. I was like sixteen, <laughs> right? And so, even though I really loved, really liked the Talking Heads, and I really liked David Byrne, I also didn't have a lot of friends that listened to that type of music. So I didn't know mm. that, that that David Byrne was the same person from the Talking Heads. Hmm. I was just like, who's this amazing songwriter who's like doing this very cheeky right. pop music 
which I like, mean, is way too self-aware for its own good. Right. I mean, hmm. my memory of Dave, my first memory of David Byrne is that free song that came with you know with Windows computers, you know, in the early two thousands. It was uh, like, like humans, humans do from looking to the looking to the eyeball. Yeah, beautiful song. Great free yeah. song. It's a it's a yeah. I never watch TV except when I'm stoned, like humans do. <laughs> do. Oh, it's so and good. It's, yeah, so David Byrne is one of my favorite songwriters. And, mm-hmm. and in the early aughts, I'm having a barbecue with some friends, and actually one of the friends for whom the, that email from the person was about. You know, it's been... If you've been listening to the show, it's been no secret. My my best friend passed away last summer. It's been it's been challenging. It is what it is. Not to that's me saying it is what it is isn't to say that it's not painful. It is right. incredibly. I'm just saying that it's a fact. This is a thing that happened. Um, and I, it's something that I work with. Every single day. But, you know, I was talking about David Byrne and how much I loved his music. And we were at a barbecue. And they were like, yo, did you ever see the movie he made? And I was like, and I was like what? What the fuck are you talking about? He was like, bro, he made this movie called True Stories. It came out in the 80s. It's got John Goodman. It's kind of a musical. It's kind of not. Um, if you ever find it. You got to watch it. And I was like, yeah, right. This is not real. And this is like not quite Netflix. I mean, Netflix was there, but it wasn't like I didn't have it. I was a broke 20 something year old. Like this wasn't always a a foregone conclusion. Now today you're like, hey, you want to go see a movie? You can sort of find it. Right. I mean, it's on so, Criterion now. Great. Yeah. This was like 2005. Right. And I randomly, two or three days later, I met J&R Music World. Oh, dude. I love that place. Yeah, it was a wonderful place. It was. Looking looking through the bargain bin DVDs. Yes. And mm-hmm. in the two for seven bucket, I see She's So Lovely and mm-hmm. True Stories. Yeah. Uh, best $7 I, I spent that year. <laughs> Granted, like both of these discs were pretty bare bones. It was like just the movie. There were right, and I commentaries. Remember, right, and the two stories one. It was like the weird thing when Warner Brothers was doing like the half cardboard, half kind of plastic case that was just awkward. I forgot what they called those. That's the but... DVD I have. Yeah, that's yeah, what I had I too. Yeah, <laughs> he's reading the newspaper. That's the cover. Yeah, I got yeah. it at uh, the five dollar bin at Walmart late night. I'm go. saying it's, it's, it's a movie in the early 2000s, the early aughts, mm-hmm. you could find David Byrne's true stories in a bargain bin. Yeah, now, it, I even now remember it's, at a checkout at a grocery, like at a grocery yeah. store. It was like at the checkout, like for discount, like three ninety nine or something like that. Yeah, you'll find, you used to find weird stuff. And now mm-hmm. I think at this point it's largely been accepted as mm-hmm. uh, a kooky classic, a, but... You know, when you when you were telling me, yo, we should do an episode about musicians that make movies, I was like, oh, I'm putting together the list. And I'm like, yo, True Stories is not just like one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. by a musician. 
It's a it's one of my favorite movies. It's yeah. a it's a top ten movie for me. Yeah, it's special. It's it really is. It's it's magical. Mm-hmm. It and it it you know John Goodman is in it. Annie McEnroe, Swoozie Kurtz, Spalding Gray, Pop Staples, Man. Tito Lariva, David Byrne. The music is by Talking Heads. The cinematography <laughs> by Ed Lockman is oh my delicious. God. I've, I've met Ed Lockman a couple of times too, and he's just a beautiful soul. Like he he attends a lot of screenings that I used to go to in New York, and sometimes he would actually go up and talk before the screening. Like for I'm not there because he obviously shot that one, but uh, yeah, like I saw Maburosi, this Japanese movie with him. I think it was a uh, Koreeda's first fiction movie, and it wow. was amazing. Yeah, he's 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 incredible. Like I would love to work with him one day, you know. You know, uh, well, you are a talented director. You directed a music video for my new album. Oh, thanks. Well, no, I should thank you because, you know, you, you, you inspired me to do that. So, you know. I mean, you know, the thanks can be mutual. For sure. I mean, I, I knew that I wanted, like, nonlinear <laughs> videos for this album mm-hmm. um i have two videos now and there i have at least one more coming through but yeah guys true stories how good of a movie is that yeah i mean i would say we haven't really heard much from marcus so far but <laughs> yeah let's, let's let's have marcus say something about true stories come on marcus uh it's a movie i used to watch a lot towards the end of college because like i said <clears throat> uh i was just like i would peruse walmart at like two three in the morning uh, when I was at college in Virginia, and I got um, it was four ninety nine. Walmart used to have these. Maybe it's, I haven't been in a Walmart in a long time, but they used to have these like DVD bins, and it was always the same movies. It was Trees Lounge. It was Suicide oh. Kings. Um, it was like it was these movies that everybody had in their collection because right. they were cheap. Made what's the, that? Made the, made yeah, the John Star Favre eighty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Star eighty. Um, yeah. yeah, there were like these nice. Cl- and then I was just like. I remember I was like, oh, is this David Byrne? This is, oh, yeah, I'll just buy it. And then um, I went home. I remember first time I watched it, because it was at like 3 in the morning, finally got home, put it on. It was like, I remember like the sun was coming up like as I was finished finishing watching it. So I was like, that's always a nice memory to, to think about this movie. And it was like, then for a while, like, it kind of became my go-to-sleep movie, like the movie that you have on as you like mm. go to sleep. So it's one of those things, too, where so many random parts of that movie are just kind of in my psyche because like you fall asleep to something you wake up to the dvd menu you just have it on have it on in your room even when you're not paying attention to it but then like 10 15 20 years later you can like still quote lines (laughs) from it without realizing like oh wow how do i know that yeah exactly have either of you seen the studio ghibli film only yesterday Uh, no no yeah i mean we've, we've, we've chatted about it multiple times scott but i still haven't gotten around to watching it that's okay. Yeah. I highly recommend that you watch it because mm-hmm. um, it's 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 a movie that I love. It's it's a non Miyazaki directed Studio Ghibli. Um, it's a banger. It's and that movie and this movie, in my opinion, occupy a space that I call non magical magical realism. Okay. Where you have this. I just came up with it right now. Um, so. I'm working. I'm working it. I'm, you know, we haven't done an episode in a week or two, so I'm just, I'm just rocking it. Go for it, man. Full force. Yeah, let's roll with it. Hamster style. 
Hell so, yeah, I love hamster style. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, just the, this idea that, like, nothing particularly magical, but it feels magical and real and so, something that you can feel. And, you know, I, I don't want to say too much about the plot of True Stories, mm-hmm. but I think you have to watch it. And I think something right. that comes with, I think what happens when, because this could be, this could be looked at when, when someone of a different art tries to make something of a different art. It doesn't always succeed, mm-hmm. but you right. do get a new point of view, a new yes, idea. exactly. Right? And I, so like I, Bob, yeah. Dylan, Bob Dylan wrote a book, Tarantula. It's not very good, but, <laughs> but he, is, he tried something. And yeah, so he made a movie have, too. He's on my he list. Did. Yeah. It's not on mine because I don't like it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I'm just I, I listed it down as an example. Oh. Yeah. I, I'm only gonna be talking about movies by musicians that I like yes. the movies. Okay. No, that's that's great. For yeah. me. Okay. That's that's perfectly fine. And I mean I think and, yeah, true stories um is such a good jumping off point. Um, right. Yeah. Because and then because you you really do feel like David Byrne's mind and soul and heart and good nature mm. is in it. Ah, oh, yeah, that phrase, good nature. Exactly. And I mean, that's also what I wanted to point out of just like a testament to how good the movie is that you could watch the clips on YouTube out of context and they stand up. Like, you know, they're, they're like, some of them are even memes, like the whole shopping mall thing, right? Like that could mm-hmm. be a meme. Or you've seen the, the gif of him like driving in that convertible with the cowboy hat. Like, yeah. even if people have never seen the movie, they've at least seen that image. And it's like, oh, that's where it's from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got an online date 15 years ago through True Stories. Ooh. I'm in a happy relationship. <laughs> I'm in a happy relationship now. But back in the day, someone had, like, listed on OkCupid that they really liked Talking Heads. And I was like, oh, have you ever seen... Um, have you ever seen true stories? And they were like, no. And I sent them like the John Goodman eligible bachelor video mm, music yeah, video. And I'm like, and I was like, I'm like John Goodman in this. <laughs> and, Maintain a consistent panda bear shape. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. Yeah. That's such I, a good at the t- I mean, at the time I was maintaining a consistent <laughs> panda bear shape and perfect. Yeah. You know, and nothing ever really happened too much about it, but I just, remember it being like this thing where people knew about the movie but didn't necessarily so what i find interesting about when people approach different genres is the fact that they're not coming from the world in which that in in which the laws and rules exist yes off sometimes like totally works sometimes Mm -hmm. doesn't like uh there have been a lot of times where where novelists will write comic books and it doesn't work right are you talking about (laughs) i'm just thinking of of certain examples but yeah are you gonna name name names but i'm not yeah i'm not i'm not (laughs) going to let's not yeah let's not um and then there will be then like randomly that dude from my chemical romance gerard way Mm -hmm. like is actually a pretty good comic book writer you know and that worked or or 
Brian K. Vaughn, who's one of my favorite comic book writers of the modern era, when he started writing for the show Lost, which was my, mm-hmm. which was a show I really liked, it didn't yeah. quite work. Sometimes mm-hmm. things just don't translate. How and, do you feel about uh, Kevin Smith writing comics? Do you like the stuff he's done in comic books? Just uh, give give me a second. Uh, okay. Book bookmark that for a second. Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. When we've seen s- several times over the past couple of years that when MMA fighters try to become boxers, it doesn't really work that well. It doesn't translate. When rappers try to battle rap, you know, <laughs> pause my time, stop my time. <laughs> it, it you know it doesn't quite translate, and that right. that there's this important sort of thing where these things don't always translate. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. What was the question again, Carlo? Uh, how did you feel about uh, Kevin Smith's uh, comic book uh, ventures when he started writing so, comics? When Kevin Smith I started writing in the late 90s, this was a very new idea, um, mm-hmm. like celebrities writing, right. but it, so celebrities writing comic books. And it was actually part of of a campaign marvel was like running out of money mm-hmm. marvel was not cool which is funny for us to think of it like that now <laughs> right um and marvel was really trying very hard to look cool and they took out ads in magazines with kevin smith with rapper mm. mike ladd with other people talking mm-hmm. about because mike ladd this rapper who who i love Infesticons, right? Infesticons, yeah. Uh, yeah. Welcome awesome. to the After Future. Yeah, and I love that. He like was... Milo is kind of giving him praise now, and even had him like on one of his albums recently. Yeah, they did a bunch of stuff together. Um, yeah, Rap Ferreira is what he's going yeah. by. Now. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I, I, it's just shorter to say Milo. <laughs> I call yeah. him R- Rory sometimes. Yeah, just Rory. You know. <laughs> so yeah, the rapper Milo, uh, R- uh, Rap Ferreira. Decided didn't. I'm pretty sure didn't want to be connected to Milo Yugulopoulos and oh, ch- yeah. change the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are like a, a a generation or two under us, but mm. but find inspiration from the rap that was our generation, like the Mike Lads of the world, mm-hmm. Anti Pops, Cannibal Ox, uh, Rob Sonic, yeah. LP, ASAP Rock. Right. And Mike Ladd was on the Smashing Pumpkins record label. Virgin? So he was, con- yeah, <laughs> okay. Scratchy Records or whatever. Uh, um, right. And he, so he was considered like this like cool dude because like he was rapping about Blade Runner and was, <laughs> I'm serious, and, right. and was like signed to a non-traditional rap label. And there's an advertisement for him talking about comic books. And there was an advertisement, this is the late 90s, an advertisement mm-hmm. for Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Smith sort of made comic books cool for some people, if you remember, because the yeah. Mallrats covers, the the Mallrats are... The opening the credits. Movie, yeah, the opening credits. The credits, credits yeah. were famous comic book artists. Mm. And, and Blunt Man and Chronic is a really important part of... Chasing Amy, which right. was a huge movie at the time, mm-hmm. and and this Jane Silent Bob stuff. So it Kevin Smith writing a comic made perfect sense because he was really all about that culture, mm-hmm. and he wrote he wrote a Daredevil storyline and a Green mm-hmm. Arrow storyline, right? That were that were fine, 
Yeah. And I, I want to tie it into our, our, our subject, you know, because do you guys feel like that's kind of a necessary component if you're like, you've mastered your craft, say, and then you want to delve into some uh, another craft or another art? Uh, do you have to have that kind of like knowledge or awareness of what the medium is in order to go into it and be good at it? Or what do you well, guys think? Um, Marcus, do you, may, may, may I for a second? Yeah, what? <laughs> no, I, I was just, I was just going to answer if that was all right. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll give you two examples of, so uh, Rob Zombie, right? Yeah. Clearly knows the genre of which he's made his movies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, he did a couple Halloween movies. He did yeah. House of a Thousand Corpses. Devil's and Rejects. Devil's Rejects. Mm-hmm. Clearly understands the genre right. to a T. Yes. He even uses uh, the same people that were in those movies in the past, like um, Sid Haig. Yeah, I would, mm-hmm. and I would never need to watch another Rob Zombie movie <laughs> ever again. Yeah. Uh, but you respect it. You respect what he does and... I respect that he understands it. Okay. All right. And then there's, you know, Kill a Season by Cameron, which... Which I was just watching before we got on this thing, by the way. Yeah, I have, which I have breaks, some thoughts. breaks every rule of filmmaking. Absolutely. And, but is also wildly entertaining. <laughs> what do you think, yeah. Marcus? Well, I gotta go... I, uh, yeah, I think it's debatable... I'd say Rob Zombie loves very much loves the genre, but as far as understanding it, sometimes I'm 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 not mm. so sure. Like, and it goes along with like he when it comes to this kind of stuff, he's in that vein of like Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, where it's just kind of like I know that you love it more than like the average person, but in terms of execution, mm. eh, I, I yeah. think it could be debated that 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 they I'm using air quotes un- understand the, the the genre. Yeah, I because think sometimes it's a little juvenile. That it's like, you know, uh, right? That's it, like some to, to to some degree. Like a lot of the movies that they idolize had no budget, so it's just to kind of make it more glossy is almost mm-hmm. the opposite of un- understanding it. When you make like <laughs> these crazy chaotic cuts every two seconds and uh, all these weird edit choices where that, that it's kind of the opposite of the right. genres that, that yeah. they're trying to pay homage to. But it is what it is. I'm, I'm also one of those guys where I, I think he's always um, uh, a, a slow-moving, easy target for people to, to poke fun at and then like to hear his, his appearance on Joe Rogan a couple of years ago talk about like his love. It's like movies were his first love before music, so mm. it's like at the same time he he's a guy who like the, yeah. I think there is nuance in in understanding and talking about Rob right. Zombie because to a lot of people yeah. on the outside, especially someone like me, like I don't I don't know any like I don't listen to that kind of music. So it, to me, it was just like oh, just some rock and roll guy decided to make movies <laughs> like years later. But it turns out like growing up, uh-huh. movies were his first. He wanted to be a filmmaker before mm-hmm. he wanted to be a musician. The, and, yeah, you're you right. Know. What I, so understand <laughs> is is your thank you for for pointing that out because I think uh-huh. you're right. He reveres it. And wants to put wants people to celebrate it, but right maybe doesn't understand it. Because then, if we look at another musician turned director, the RZA, yes, when he made Man with the Iron Fists, Mm -hmm. you could clearly tell that 
you know, the whole mythos of the Wu-Tang being like these, you know, weird-ass rappers from mostly Staten Island, but also other areas sort of connected through cousins creating this Voltron, destroying destroying rap distribution like no one had ever done. Also based on this myth that they would all hang out as kids and teenagers and go to 42nd Street to watch... You know the uh, the uh, kung fu movies. Yeah, dubbed. Yeah. By the way, we got to point out dubbed. that these were the dubbed versions, and that's why right. that's those are the samples that they use in in the the songs. Yeah, they're and mm-hmm. and used it in their music and used it mm-hmm. in their mythology. And yeah. you're always like, you know, if, if if they ever made a movie, I wonder I wonder what it would be like. And and Man with the Iron Fists is clearly a movie that reveres and understands mm. the genre but is also its very own movie it's like a yeah. weird yeah. like steampunk yeah. kung fu yeah uh, there's even like a um, running the away from the plantation <laughs> sorry the sequel's not bad yeah. either but it wasn't directed by rizza right um do you guys like man with the iron fists i do i like it i think uh he also he makes a point too like when it comes to certain fighting scenes where they in- intentionally look cheaply just like a Shaw Brothers movie would. But then at the same time, he clearly had more br- more more money uh, and more budget than like Shaw Brothers. But the, it, it's a nice mix of like, oh, I'm paying homage to like the cheaply looking stuff, but then I'm also making it a little more polished here and there. I think I think it's a, it, it's a very so- solid movie. And for someone like Riza, it's the kind of movie where it's just like, we've been waiting years for this. Right. It better be at least good because it's kind of like this. It's been like so much, and then and it, but 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 it, but it ended up being very good. So yeah, yeah, I fucking and loved I, it. Yeah. Fuck, it's such a good fucking movie, and it is. I think it helps that he had a lot of time to to figure it out. Mm-hmm. He had the the support. help of the support of yeah. many communities, mm-hmm. the support of Ellie Roth, Jim Jarmusch. I, I think it's Minton the best thing Eli Roth has done. I think it's the best thing Eli Roth has been a part of. It's the man. I mean, that's not is, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. That's not saying much, but I'm right. sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't sure. dislike Eli Roth. I just his his mm-hmm. career is it like the the genre that he's most attached to is a genre that I'm not very interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, and I haven't seen RZA's new movie about oh, New Orleans. D- don't bother, dude. Like, this is the thing I wanted to talk about with Rizza because, you know, if the man with the iron fists, like, you feel the enthusiasm. And then, like, there's this whole thing, too, I guess, with these musicians turned filmmakers, when they make their first film, uh, like, they don't know any better. So it's like they approach it the way that they feel like they, they should rather than, like, any experience mm. under their belt. And Cutthroat City is, like, Rizza being castrated. You know, it's basically him like mm. making an anonymous movie. It's just like so disappointing. Like I couldn't sense any. I think he even like uh, gave up like the scoring duties to somebody else. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like you're a musician and you're not scoring your own movie, right? And you know, it's just yeah. like this generic score. Like I mean, a lot of people were critical about the accents in the movie. It's like, why didn't you cast like authentic people from New Orleans? Like, you know, there's there's a lot of talent there. I mean, you could even get, like, the people from Cheme, you know, the HBO show, and they could have been <laughs> uh, in, that, in that cast. But, like, instead he cast people from the East Coast uh, to play hmm. people from New Orleans born and raised. And then it's just, it's awful. It, 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 it looks like a, a cheap knockoff of, like, 
um, of an episode of Treme where, you know, it's like a heist movie. It's just really disappointing, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So then you, and then you have, speaking of like New Orleans, mm-hmm. Master P has directed like seven movies. What the fuck? I never knew about this. Yeah, there are. Yeah, a lot of DTV stuff. Okay. Yeah, they're they're all most the ones that he directed. Like I got the hookup. He didn't direct, but mm. the ones he directed are all direct to video. And about, I prefer Kill a Season. Mm. But but to go back to yeah, like when when artists are sort of just sort of figuring it out, mm-hmm. like. There's no question that Purple Rain is an incredible movie. <laughs> Still a blind spot for me. Oh wow! Yeah, well, I've never seen it. You're you're not invited back to the show until <laughs> until. I, I'm joking. I don't yeah. care. Like, there people have blind spots. Yeah. Right. So he didn't direct Purple Rain. However, mm-hmm. he did direct the sequel, Graffiti Bridge, Ooh. and. He did direct the black and white musical Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah. And Under the Cherry Moon is challenging, but I think worth it. Graffiti Bridge is more like for the completest. Gotcha. And just for the kids at home who who don't know who we're talking about, this is Prince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And but to talk about another prince, and I know that that this will make Marcus happy. Another another prince that that was first a musician who then also went on to make movies. Prince Vince. Oh hell yeah! I was, yeah. Gonna, I was gonna get into that. Yeah, he made Vincent uh... Vincent Gallo started out his career. He was in a band with. John Michel Basquiat. Basquiat. Yeah, he has a couple records on Warp. Um, mm-hmm. Very expensive on vinyl now, by the way. They're out of print. So. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he, the Buffalo '66 came out like a bat out of hell, mm. like a fully formed movie. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I mean, just you know, I, I guess this is also part of it of being a musician is knowing music cues like fucking needle drops. I mean, mm-hmm. those two movies, like Brown Bunny and and uh, Buffalo 66, like are so spot on. Like, um, I guess the one in, Cotto uh, knows this, because I think he's pointed it out, the, the Yes song in, in Buffalo 66. And then uh, my favorite in Brown Bunny is Tears for Dolphy, like just after the sequence of him, like going around the track. And mm-hmm. then it, yeah, yeah oh, in the opening, sure. So beautiful. And yeah, I went to see. I went to see my friend bought us tickets to see Vince Gallo perform once, mm-hmm. at at a place in the Lower East Side that has been closed for a very long time, and it, he he was just strumming the guitar aimlessly, and his <laughs> chair was he was facing the wall, <laughs> and was just like meandering and my friend who spent money was very upset (laughs) myself a who you know sort of enjoys this Mm -hmm. sort of thing was like okay i can i can rock with this it's not like you you know 
the way you describe it, it sounds like a Derek Bailey tribute. You know? Yeah, it just was like funny. Yeah. You know, it's right. not like, and, and but it definitely wasn't charming. Uh-huh. Like there, there were nah. early, there were early cat power shows where she would have panic attacks on stage and like Ooh. hide hide under the table and like do stuff Damn. and it sort of was charming. Not to say that uh-huh. anxiety is charming, but like uh-huh. there was something about like seeing this person come to uh-huh. grips with their things and right. make it work. That, I mean, th- yeah, but that was not it. There's so much pain in his art. You know, that's just how I feel. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll probably never see promises written in water, but like, I just have a feeling like maybe that hit a mark too much where he was just like, fuck it. I can't show this to anybody anymore. Marcus owns it on mini disc. You do? I, oh shit! No, you gotta hook no, it up, I don't. <laughs> no, hook I, it I up, wish man. I wish I did. I wish I did. Have you seen promises written in water, Marcus? I have not. I know someone who has. That 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 that's about as close. So it's as a, I've it's gotten. a real movie. It was actually shown. It wasn't like some sort of publicity stunt. Or no, that was the thing. No, he yeah. no. It, it it showed, and then he's mm-hmm. like, "I'm not showing this again." Yeah, it was like at Venice, right? Twenty ten. Yeah, yeah. One of those. One yeah. of those. Yeah. 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 Damn. Marcus, you have no opinions about Vincent Gallo, right? None whatsoever. <laughs> you just have a poster on your wall of the brown bunny because <laughs> you that like I went it. went to go get from the great Mad Zoller sites. I went all the way from Astoria to my old neighborhood in Sunset Park uh, to, to get a brown bunny poster. I didn't even drive. I, I, I took the subway. So you were carrying, was it rolled up or was it already framed? No, it was framed. I carried it. Oh, uh, wow. Everything. Did yeah. you get any looks or like people approach you about it while you were on the train? No, not really. <laughs> no. I mean, it's like a big yellow pose you would think, but no, not no. really. Okay. Or at so, least yeah, not, 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 not that I, when I'm, I, I, I mind my business when I'm on this. Maybe people were looking at me. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I keep to myself on the subway. Uh-huh. So I wouldn't. So you known. can, you can infer from our jokes that. Marcus is a fan of Vincent Gallo as a director and actor and and not a person, but as an artist. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, not not really. But he's kind of the first example of someone too who, like, as a teenager, even I I still have this issue t- to this day. As as you know, I'm I'm slowly approaching forty, where it's just kind of like, if you're a terrible person, I'll like anything you do. But then like learning, I guess my dad was like the first example of someone who was just like. You could take bits and pieces of from someone and still not like them, or you could do like my dad was kind of like that, politically, religiously. You know, my dad was a Christian. He wasn't a Muslim. wasn't part of the nation of Islam, but he did feel that there were certain aspects that you know guys like Elijah Muhammad or Louis Farrakhan said that did help black people. But at the same time, he was just like, I'm not gonna have a poster or like a picture of Louis Farrakhan or Elijah Muhammad up on my wall. But it's like, there are a couple of things that I think black people could kind of take from them. And that's about it. Uh-huh. And like the older I get now, it's kind of like, okay, I'm like that with a lot of artists. Cause I mean, you know, a lot of artists are just bad people. I think unfortunately yeah. with Vincent Gallo, it's a little more complicated. I, I do think around the time of Buffalo uh, 66 and like a year or two later, he did this famous interview and then he wrote this famous thing for vice. And there were just like a couple of things where like, I think he doubled down. I think people thought he was a jerk. And then I think he took on this like character. Yeah. It was, it was obvious like late nineties, early two thousands. It's like, okay, you're just playing it up. But now at this point, it's kind of like, I think he, it took him over. Mm. Yeah. If you know if I'm making any sense, so it's one of those mm. things where it's like I think he's just like he's definitely has his problems. He comes from an abusive place and uh, home and all that other stuff. But I I think he's like 
he was a genuine person at first, and then uh-huh. it just kind of became yeah. this warp. Oh, oh, I think I think Tim Heidecker is another example of someone who who's who's the same way. Who's just like you seem kind of like a nice person, but now like you take your art a little too far, and mm. you do this kind of like asshole thing As in real a, life to people. And like it, Andy yeah. Kaufman, you know, it's like an Andy well, Kaufman. That's yeah, thing, like, yeah, exactly. Marcus, and, and, Andy Kaufman, yeah. yeah. What I, Marcus, what I'm sure you can appreciate as a lifelong fan of pro wrestling is mm-hmm. is that if you're not careful with the kayfabe, it can take over. You oh, you know, yeah. if it, and I think one of the reasons that wrestlers are able to sometimes have normal lives is that when they go home, they're 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 able to be like, oh, this is where. Rick Flair is the person is and Rick Flair the person isn't and can can break it but when yeah you oh, become well, that's this not performative... well that's not the best example but I I, I know what you mean <laughs> Rick, Rick okay. Flair is not, I'm just imagining I'm just saying, saying like in that in that particular Whoa. thing it, that's so give me so give does. me a better example so I can what get to it? the other point no no you you made your point I was just saying Rick Flair is definitely <laughs> who he is I I guess maybe maybe like uh, Stone Cold. My, okay, my, so, my, or, or the yes. rock or the rock i think the rock right. the rock yeah, is, is someone the rock might... has a character and the rock is a person and the rock does lots of things when you have people like uh eric andre yeah, Nard, yeah. nardwar yeah. um andy kaufman vincent gallo steve heidecker characters that are like even sometimes to a certain extent neil hamburger who recently mm like sort right. of was like well you know what i'm actually a person uh, but it it when you when every single aspect of your art is you know your twitter the way you're living the way you're at it can bleed into a way where yeah you know um andrew dice clay is like a nice Jewish kid from Brooklyn, and the sh- the Andrew Dice Clay shtick was the one that stuck, and that, and now that's what he's been doing for 40, 50 years. So, yeah. so yeah, it, it, there's a point where you, like where does where does the bleed end? But then there's oh, what was that movie you had me watch a couple weeks ago, Marcus, with Vince Gallo from the eighties? Oh, Doc's Kingdom. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I I I saw that too. Weirdly enough, like when you guys saw it, I didn't even hear that episode, but like I watched it recently as well. Bizarre. It's just like he was like he and he was in a bunch of Claire Denis movies. Like he's a mm-hmm. he is a good actor involved in a lot of art that I find to be good. Mm-hmm. Exactly, like good gen- genuine like real art. Like for someone yeah. like Claire Denis to like love a guy like Vincent Gat like that's what I'm saying like there, uh-huh. there's certain specific people who just like swear by and co-sign Vincent Gallo to the point where it's just kind of like yeah I definitely think a lot of what he's doing you know is an act yeah. and, I, and I think each one of us outside of being a celebrity or fam- each one of us has friends who are just like yeah like they're a lot or they're kind of an asshole but like they're still my friend and I kind of know them outside uh-huh. of how you know them and they're a genuine person right. they just kind of they have their yeah. things about them basically yeah. And the thing I like about, I guess, the Gallo mythos or whatever is just, like, what he's left behind. You know, I mean, it's two movies and then basically a final performance that he doesn't say anything. <laughs> As it stands sure. right now. Like, he hasn't been in anything since uh, Essential Killing, right? Like that. Was no, no, one. he's been in other stuff. Oh, he has? Okay, well, yeah, that's... Yeah, he shows up in other stuff. But that's, like, Essential the last... Essential Killing. Lead, ...lead role, right? That was the last movie where he was the lead. 
Uh, probably yes. Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, yeah. Moscow, yeah. Moscow Zero was incredible, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, Essential Killing I watched because like you joked around is like oh it's like hipster Rambo art house, <laughs> and or even I said that I don't know, <laughs> and because like yeah, Vincent Gallo's character never talks the entire movie, and. You don't know whether he's a good guy, a bad guy, whatever. You're, right. You know, he doesn't speak until the last sentence. He says, well, that was an essential killing. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Oh, my <clears throat> God. <laughs> All right. Yes. So, I got, so I got a question for you guys. Oh, well, continue your point, Scott. But I do have a question after. Well, why don't you tell, ask me your question? Okay. Because so... my... My answer is Barbara Streisand. <laughs> that was what I was looking at right now on my list. Oh, my God. Yeah, so what factor does it play uh, into you, I guess, uh, liking the movies or approaching the movies like with any kind of bias when you already are aware of the, the artist's music beforehand? You know, do you... I mean, obviously, I know you guys, so I kind of know that you're, you're more open-minded than the typical person, but do you think that like that scares certain people away from watching something or are dismissive because i know i'm guilty of it like i was definitely dismissive of uh, beyonce's lemonade when it first came out because i was like what the fuck people are saying he she's doing terrence malick better than terrence malick are you kidding me well, you know because beyonce stands are the worst <laughs> the bay the bay hive uh but the yeah so hive, like yeah the yeah. question is like yeah like do you think that plays a factor of like we're already aware of their music <sighs> Like, does that affect your judgment of, of how the movie's going to be or your feelings going into the movie? Yes. Knowing the artist music? Okay. It, in, it, impacts, it impacts how I'm going into it. Mm-hmm. And if I like them as an artist, it's probably going to sway in a, in a positive way. But then there's, so, but then there's like, you know, Wayne Coyne made, Wayne Coyne, the lead singer of Flaming Lips, made Christmas oh, on Mars. Yeah, and, no, it took a while, but yeah. It took like a very long time. Yeah. And even though that era of Flaming Lips is some of my favorite music in the world, mm. you couldn't get me to really enjoy that movie. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Flying Lotus, I think, is mm. a good musician. Right. What was the oh. name of his movie? Kuso. Kuso. <sighs> Horrible movie. It was like really not uh-huh. for me. It just wasn't for I, me. I thought it was yeah. a pretty good movie. I didn't no, think it was I horrible. It, it was a good no, movie. And, no, I think he, if you guys have ever seen that movie, Funky Forest, like it's a poor knockoff of that movie. Like Funky Forest does everything much better than than Cuso did. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about Cuso, but then there's mm-hmm. like a guy like Mr. Oizo, whose music I didn't really know that much about because right. it was like his genre of dance music was not was never I was never really all that mm-hmm. into. So to find out that he has like I think he's probably more famous now as a director yes. than he is a musician. Who, Flying Lotus? No, no um, Mr. Oizo. Uh, oh Mr. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Yeah, right. Quentin yeah, Quentin Bihu. Yeah. Yeah, prob- yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah, he and just he, makes he inspired movies. he inspired this idea for the episode actually for me to suggest it yeah. to you guys because when I saw this I was like, damn, yeah, he was a musician. Because yeah. again, going back to like you know, having a different frame of reference in art, uh, that's one of the things that I think about is like, what do things like music and, and movies have in common? And one of the things is editing, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you you're sequencing stuff 
and like th- that is what you feel uh, other than you know that Cameron movie that you mentioned the killer season like which has really odd rhythms for a music <laughs> musician but a lot of them they're they're edited musically you know there's something but, about, right but that's yeah. but look at the different types of musicians and different things so mm, yeah, so Mr. Genre. Oizo Mr. Yeah. Oizo the electronic musician dance producer so mm-hmm. the edit makes more sense Mm-hmm. Cameron is a rapper, so I am. I imagine that a lot of the technical stuff he might not have been. Yeah, I mean, in... it's not even well mixed, like the sound mix. Like, it's just Kill like a season. Kill a season is a ch- Kill a season is a challenging movie. I fucking um, loved it though, from what I've seen so there, far. Yeah, it's I love really it. awesome and yeah. and and problematic and mm-hmm. two and a half hours long. Yeah, which is absurd. <laughs> like that ambition. Everything about it is absurd. Yeah. But then you have, and then, but then you have like someone like Barbara Streisand, who, uh, the Prince of Tides, mm-hmm. and um, Yentl, Yentl, which mm-hmm. are movies that I actually really like. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a singer, but she comes from like the Broadway stuff, so her stuff is like very like Broadway going, mm-hmm. and. And like works, I think she's a little slightly underrated as a director. Right. And then, um, you know, Boots Riley, yes. he made "Sorry to Bother You" a few years ago. Yeah, such a great debut. I love it. A great debut, and mm-hmm. felt. And even though I've been listening to his music for twenty years, mm-hmm. his music and his directing very different. Yeah. So you don't. So yeah, there are these. These. Yeah these other things um who are who are so yeah guys who are some of your favorite musicians turned directors that we haven't mentioned marcus you oh, want to go we first? haven't yeah that we haven't met i mean you've actually mentioned them all in terms of ones that i like so <laughs> not fred durst i thought you guys were a fan of his uh what was that john travolta i like i like that movie but i'm not going to put him up <laughs> with like vincent gallo or, or what or about like um, that what about John Lurie? Does he count as a? I would I mean, count anything... him. I mean, he made the what is that? That it's it's hardly ever seen that short film like Men on Mars or something like that, where it, it it's actually really. But even good. that, yeah. but I, yeah, I don't want to get just because I really love someone for something like. Mm-hmm. I don't think again he's another one that I don't think he's done anything on the level movie wise of like a Brown Bunny or Buffy oh, right. Sixty Six gotcha. or something like that. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. yeah, especially no, something no. that's like b- barely seen, as a, as a which doesn't make it any less good, but it's mm-hmm. still yeah. like you know. Now that's fair. He's I don't think he's ever made a feature. You know, it's just the the two shows and in those shows. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Right. So, but maybe and he could. I mean, now yeah. Now go ahead. Painting Sorry. with John. Painting mm-hmm. with John was incredible. Fishing yeah, with was. John is incredible. Mm-hmm. John Lurie has been involved in so much wonderful art, and yes. is a very talented musician. But, you know, I just I don't I don't think it quite counts. And that was like something yeah. that when you were when you were pitching this episode, you were like, you know, not not someone like Hal Hartley, who mm-hmm. makes music for his movies, but started started as a filmmaker first or Jim Jarmusch yeah. or something. Um, yeah. We're talking about, you know, musicians first. And this is hardly an exhaustive list because no. a lot of people, a lot of people make movies and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, sometimes it's kind of fun to miss something because then, right. you know. Well, I got a few more, uh, but this one, I guess, is a borderline one. If uh, I want to get your opinions on what do you think about like the Lonely Island guys 
are they musicians first or comedians? Or... No, they're no, they're 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 they're, they're comedians. Yeah. First, okay. You know. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So that's one. I mean, yeah, I got I got like maybe in my top of my list. I mean, I would put Boots Riley there, even though he's only made one movie. And what? One of... yeah. Hold on. So okay. So Lonely Island uh-huh. are musical comedians. Right. So but I mean, does that? Yeah, but their first things that they did, first few things, were all sketch comedy, not music related. You know? Oh, I because so. I just remember them from Lazy Sunday or was that Lazy Monday? This is way, yeah. was that? that was Saturday night. Yeah, but that was Saturday Night Live. Right, though. that yeah, was a Saturday yeah. Night Live skit. They they were established. Yeah, like they they got famous because they did this early online series called The Boo, which was like mm. a which was off musical, of the OC. No? No, no, it was just like a no. It was just like a yeah. It was like a it, it was a, it was, it was a satire of, of of the OC. It was called the the, the BU. The BU. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Which I is gotta funny. That Very out. funny. Yeah, yeah. Dear, dear sister, man. Yeah. What a brilliant skit. I oh, will man. say that I do love Hot Rod and yes, same. I do. I do love that Lonely Island's love for rap music is mm-hmm. real and. Yeah palpable and even though maybe sometimes people like their music for the wrong reasons they definitely like listen to rap music definitely yeah yeah so i'm sorry you were going to say yeah i was just yeah i'm gonna rattle off a couple of names and you guys can chime in so um uh the reason also yeah you pointed that out scott how different like boots riley's music is from the movie is that what I like about Sorry to Bother You that, like, I guess is the thing that keeps me coming back to it is that he's not afraid to show, like, perspectives that oppose his own, you know? Whereas I, I felt like his music, I mean, you understand it a lot better than I do because I'm, I'm, I'm just a cursory fan, but, like, um, it feels like it comes from one type of perspective. Whereas I think Sorry to Bother You acknowledges that, like, you know, that's not the only perspective that's available. Like, it almost berates uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character for not being more assertive and making decisions, which I really like. You know, um, like he, he's, he just is going where like he he thinks is right at the time but then, you know, he, it always backfires on him which I love about that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I want to mention Corey Maccabee. Are you guys familiar with him? From the Fred no. Nair show? Oh my god, Corey oh, no. Maccabee. Like now, yeah, it's it's on its twentieth anniversary. I think it came out two thousand one. The American Astronaut, like Marcus, you would love this movie because it's like a musical. It's like black and white. It it kind of is is in the same vein as like Guy Madden, like kind of very cheaply okay. done. Yeah, and the music is fucking dope. Like it's incredible oh. music. What's and, this movie called? Uh, the American Astronaut. Um, yeah, it's it's worth seeking out. Like, I think the DVD okay. is one of those ones that's gone out of print and it's going for astronomical prices now. But I think you can find like streams. I mean, I'll, now this is what I'll do. I'll send you guys a copy. Like, if I, you know, I, I can probably okay. get my hands on a copy and I'll send it to you guys. Because and if you guys want to do an episode on Corey Maccabee, I would love to because he also has a, a, a early web series like before it was a thing uh, called um, uh, Stingray Sam and. It just clearly shows like black and white is such an important aspect of his craft. Like he, you know, the the mm. use of black and white in 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 both movie in the show and on on the movie, it's like you know, um, American Astronaut was shot on film, and then uh, Stingray Sam was shot digitally. But like the way he grades the black and white, it's very specific. 
to him you know and then obviously the music is incredible well that's my opinion of it anyway i i don't know if you guys would like it but yeah so cory maccabee he's definitely one guy i would highlight and i wish he would make another movie um i also want to point out yeah, and uh, okay. i just no, wanted ahead. to say yeah. uh just 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 for the people boots riley was part of a rap group called the coup yeah. that has been pushing forward very leftist ideas and right has been involved in you know grassroots work like he's about he really is about that life Uh he's an he's an activist and is like super left and yeah oakland baby oakland oakland baby and i just think it's right it's i just think it's really great that even though even though his music is like super like funky about mm-hmm. the trials and tribulations of him and the american poor and the black experience yes sorry to bother you is definitely about the problems of capitalism and and is about unions but it's still yeah it's 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 its own thing yeah it's very nuanced the way he presents it and that's what i liked about it you know and yeah. just that, yeah, that awareness, you know, to to do that for your first movie. I, granted, he was like workshopping that screen screenplay for years, right, before it even got made. So he had all that time to really like fine tune it before he made the movie. So yeah. yeah, he was having trouble take people taking him seriously that he was mm-hmm. trying to make a movie that he he released the entire script through <laughs> McSweeney's. Right, I have a copy of that too. It's it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I guess that's a common thing, too, that a lot of these musicians probably get as, like, a response when they say, like, hey, I want to make a movie. Like, I'm sure people just laugh them off. Yeah, right. It's like, sure. you want to make a movie? What? I mean, like, pe- people within the f- people who, like, go to film school, do all the stuff, and then they're like, hey, I want to make a feature. Their own <laughs> peers within film school are just like, oh, good luck with that. <laughs> right, so exactly. imagine someone from the outside trying to do it. Yeah, which, you know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And which I mean, is always I, the dumbest thing. It's like you go to film school, I want to make a feature. Oh, good luck with it. It's like, what the? F- I mean, I guess not everybody goes to film school to make movies, but still, like, uh-huh. I think you know what I'm getting. Right. It's just and weird and discouragement. It's so stupid, you know? Yeah. But it's also that aspect yeah, of, like, you know, that desire to want to do it, the enthusiasm at the beginning. And then also, it's just like, what makes these movies special to me compared to, like, just a regular filmmaker is that you know they they approach it as a fan it's like what their idea of a movie is that's what they make they're not care they don't care about the process i mean going back to the cameron movie it's like dude you, did you even rehearse these scenes <laughs> it seems yeah. like a lot of these people are Probably doing not. yeah doing the scenes like for the first time it's like <laughs> you know and like they only do a, a take if like they they flub a line or something or sometimes he keeps it in which is amazing uh but yeah it's just like that that enthusiasm of not knowing like uh how things are supposed to be done and the beauty of it is that if you get the right collaborators and this is why like movies are the most like kind of welcoming and encompassing if you want to try it out even if you're not a filmmaker is because you your collaborators can make up for your deficiencies that no i'm talking about like just the enthusiasm of approaching a movie as a fan like making a movie like you know the way kids used to do like i i guess i've been more generous when it comes to amateurish stuff because it's just like i'm looking for the passion you know and the conviction to make it 
And I can see that through Cameron's movie. It's like he wanted to make a two-hour-plus movie about his life, you know? And he, he clearly is carrying it through the whole thing. Like, I mean, he doesn't do the scenes where he has to kind of be exasperated and, like, you know, it's like, help! Help! That was so weak. But of the, hmm. the other scenes, you can see the conviction. He's, like, he's really just, like, committed to the role and he's obviously like a, a charismatic presence you can sense that you know and i mean that's the other thing i guess i want to bring up with you these musicians certain filmmakers when they they cast themselves in the lead roles you know it's like they know that they have that presence and i mean you know jim jarmusch was also asked this question of like why did you always used to cast musicians in your movies i mean he still kind of does but like that's what he says it's like they, they're natural performers they yeah. already know True. like you know how they're um they're talking about in um like uh what's this like um in terms of uh where the camera is you know because they've probably done live shows that have been recorded so they know what their their best side is you know and stuff like that so um yeah i mean that that's what carries through i'm sure i haven't seen any of the prince movies but i'm sure that's that's one of the things that he probably commands you oh, know yeah. because yeah the the problem is is that is that the, the the performances of the Prince movies that Prince directed are fine. It's just they're they're as total movies they they leave you wanting more where where Purple Rain is is a is damn near perfect musical movie. The other two are more challenging. Right. Especially Graffiti Bridge. <laughs> graffiti Bridge no, is, I gotta see is, that Graffiti Bridge is really oh, really man. challenging yeah i mean i love challenging so i I'm, I'm definitely down to seek those out for sure hmm. and i mean uh also just tying back to to what our jumping off point of true stories that is the other thing about uh these musician turned directors is that i think true stories is the exception like it's a very strong narratively but a lot of these movies are not and, uh, you know, the reason why is because they're not thinking about story. They're more thinking about, I guess, movie. You know, some of them do probably think of story, but it's more about, like, I mean, yeah, just use the, the uh, especially Brown Bunny, it's more about the experience, you know, of how things feel. And in a way, music is like that, too. It's giving us, like, a sense of, of how things feel, and they're trying to do convey that through sound and image in the movies, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it's just beautiful. Uh, so can I just name two more guys that I really like? Yeah, one is like an all-timer. So uh, the one that isn't the all-timer is uh, Omar Rodriguez Lopez, you know, the guitarist of um, oh, At right. The Drive-In yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Mars Volta. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I think he's made four movies, which is crazy because that's the other thing about these directors. A lot of them only have one or maybe two if they're lucky, but he's made four. And I had access to three of them. And I watched them, and, like, it's so amazing to just see him grow. And, like, I think his second film, Los Chidos, is actually, like, in line with Cuso. Like, he, he was also trying to make a very disgusting movie <laughs> hmm. with that one. But he's always talked about how, like, his guitar riffs were always inspired by, by movies anyway. Like, he thinks of a movie. He's, like, channeling a movie when he goes on, like, one of those solos and stuff. Well, he, so... he's a big uh, Bunuel fan. He's, he said this before. Mm. And he loves Werner yeah. Herzog as well. Right, and you can see that in the movies, but there, there's also, like, a specificity to his movies in terms of, like, location, and he's always, like, focusing on, you know, Latino culture, yeah. you know, with with the three films that I saw. Like, I think the the most recent one, which is, I think, I want to say 
2014 um, was uh, Amalia, or 2017, I'm confused, but mm-hmm. it's a black and white kind of horror movie that I would say is kind of in line with um, A Girl Who Walks Home at Night, but mm. better. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can send a copy to you guys of that, too. Please I do. hope this isn't like... Yeah, I hope this doesn't like... Uh, get me like the fbi to like <laughs> knock on my door <laughs> saying this shit no you're but, I mean, you're lending was... us a copy of your dvd yeah and then also these things aren't available you know anywhere it's like hard to find these things so i want to like i want these to be seen if anything i'm promoting these movies for people to watch them you know yeah because because so... honestly like you'll you know oh shit what was that movie you sent to me like three months ago with freaking I'm just like really drawing a gap drawing a blank <laughs> Ruben and Ed I've sent you yes exactly like, Ruben and Ed you sent that to me it blew my mind we had the director on the next week you know so it's amazing <laughs> and and people I know have been trying to find that movie ever since so right yeah you never know like what's what is going to be something profound sometimes i'll watch six movies that that marcus recommends and does nothing for me then or then sometimes i'll send him this uh send him a movie bye bye monkey and he's like we need to do a whole episode <laughs> you never you never know right exactly yeah for sure i mean i i, I wouldn't be surprised to if like somewhere down the line like some of the movies we mentioned like could have their own episode exactly you know? and, and even even without me, like you guys could probably go on a tangent, you know. Uh, so the last, yeah, the last time enough. you were on, you had us watch, you know, uh, an absurdist movie about <laughs> hockey with Bruce Campbell, yeah. you know, right? Because I didn't. Oh, oh yeah. directed, directed by a novelist, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> who, whose novels for... I found out about through you, because you you gave Amazing. me one of his books, and yeah. I, you know, and that was how I found out that you were really into hockey. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I just mentioned I was I'm wearing my New York Islanders jersey right now. I didn't. Like, yeah, ho- hockey jerseys are like the perfect sweater, man. Like Kevin Smith had the right idea. You know, it's like it's perfect because I I like to go cycling, and I sent you guys a photo of me wearing my Mighty Duck sweater. Like it's the perfect jersey because it's like aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. So like when you're you know like it keeps me warm, but at the same time like air passes through me, so. It's like I can, you know, I can sweat like without feeling completely gross. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah, hockey jerseys, man. Yeah, hockey's all. Ho- I'm learning about hockey this year because I, mm-hmm. when the world opens up, it's a sport that I've decided I'm going to get into. Oh, dude, yeah, let, let's get into it. I mean, you you kind of have uh, reawakened my MMA. Uh, love so I, I let, let's let's get into hockey too i mean i would be down to like do some uh like viewing parties with you with hockey games as well because yeah they're so much fun yes okay i don't any, even care what team yeah any more uh movies yes. you want to bring up before we uh no, yeah absolutely yeah i gotta i saved the best for last so i gotta mention james nares uh the spelling of his last name is n-a-r-e-s Mm-hmm. And I consider him to be a musician because he was in a band with uh, Jim Jarmusch in the No Wave era in New York. Uh, he was, I think, the drummer for the band. Uh, but I can't—I'm blanking on the name of their band. Uh, it was like the Del Byzantines or something like that. Yeah, yeah, the Del but, Byzantines. <clears throat> yeah, Del, yeah, with the yeah, wise, yeah, yeah, Del Byzantines. Yeah, yeah. So James Nears was the drummer of that band, and he was also an artist. So 
he made like some quirky video art shit, you know, um, in the eighties. <laughs> I'm saying shit like because I don't respond to it. Like I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Hmm. Like it's a spoon like swinging on a string. You know, <laughs> it's like shit like that. I'm like, I, I that does nothing for me. But um, but his work in the two thousands, dudes. Oh my god. Like I mean, I already if, if people have been following, like when I posted my best of the decade list on FinlandEmpire.com, go visit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, like that was tops of my list of like discoveries. Or shit, maybe I put it actually in my discoveries of of the past year. Uh, he made this film called Street, which has a score by uh, Thurston Moore, you know, of uh, um, Sonic Youth fame. Uh, incredible score and it's basically like this film where he went around New York City shooting with a super slow-mo camera like it was more slow-mo than like you know what you can record on your iPhone like it the the file sizes were so huge that it needs to be connected to a computer to dump dump the file right away on a hard drive because it's just like the the files were just gigantic and he went around like in a I guess like a giant SUV like a, a Chevy or something uh, the same thing like Tony Soprano used to drive around in. <laughs> and from the back seat, he had the camera filming people on the street. And it was just capturing like these moments that, you know, it's like in between time that you can't see with your naked eye unless it's slowed down. Amazing. And like these off guard moments. It's such a beautiful film. And it was like, it's only an hour long. And uh, for the longest time, like uh, on YouTube, it was, they had like a 20 minute excerpt and it was like presented as a TED talk which is weird. Hmm. Uh, uh, and that's what I, I like survived on for the longest time. But this was like one of the silver linings of the pandemic was they had like a free Vimeo, like a uh, stream of it um, for about a week during the pandemic. And I finally got to see it in its entirety. And I was just completely blown away. Like I, I wrote like such an enthusiastic review of, of it on Letterboxd because I was just like, man, this, this movie is something else and then he also did like later on like these uh, slow-mo portraits that were in the i want to say the paul kasman gallery oh on, yeah um... i know about these i i always yeah, found dude. them to be brilliant i and yeah I, and he did one on actually what's really amazing is that you just gave me a real gift carlo because my friend because my friend who passed away mm. put me on to this dude and was like yo you gotta oh. you gotta you gotta check out this this guy he does these super slow motion portraits where you don't even realize that by the time the portrait is over there's been some movement and right and i forgot the person's name and that's him james nares yeah so just shut up for a second so i could take that in i'm sorry if that was impolite but you, <laughs> no absolutely i don't take that personally at all <laughs> but you just sort of gave something back to me and thank you for sure yeah, but James Nair's amazing, and I'm I'm glad that I was able to to do that because I mean, I wanna like sing my praises for for this work, even if if that is his legacy, is that it just ends up being those slow mo portraits of his friends. By the way, that was the other thing that was significant about it. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm just gonna do some slow mo portraits of people. Like, no, it's Jim Jarmusch. It was like, um, oh my god, I'm blanking on her name, but that's the one I recorded with my phone. I I think I didn't even have a phone then. I had like an iPod Touch, and I uploaded it on YouTube so people could see it. I wanted to like share it, like so people could just notice how the movements are because they're not available anywhere else. Like you had to go to that gallery to see them in motion. Like I know, you know and I wasn't able to see it at the time. Oh, dude, it was incredible. Yeah, it really was. But you know, I, I'll send you the link to the copy that I made of. 
of one of them. I think her name was Jandara, and she was a, a dancer. So, like, you know, her dancing in slow motion was just... Dude, oh dude, dude, this is what he was telling me about. Mm-hmm. Dude. There you go. This He was like, you have to see this one. Ah. <sighs> Dude, you get well, you just gave me a you just gave me a gift. You gave me a gift. I I can feel it, man. I'm touched too. Yeah. Any other no. any other directors before we close out? Uh, I mean, not I, on I my end. That, no. Yeah, I think that's the best way to close out. I mean, you know, let's end with James Nairs. All right. <laughs>
Well, well, well.